You're listening to Bedroom Beethoven's, where notable music makers break down stories accompanied by songs and melodies documenting growth through their 10,000-hour journey. And me? Well, my name is Cello, your host. What's up? This is J-Rock, and I'm right here. I'm chilling on the Bedroom Beethoven's podcast. That's what it is. Let's go. Let's go. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 164 of the podcast. My guest this week is... I go by DJ Payne One. I am a producer and a DJ as well. I've worked with Public Enemy, Jeezy... Rick Ross, Ludacris, Lil Baby, Pooh It's always difficult to pick which ones are the most notable. It's too much fake shit in the air, it's like I'm choking. Homie might end up leaving you burn like he was smoking. Hope you're not sleeping, cause if you do, you gon' get woken. Show up at your door, I swear to God, you been not open. Look, it ain't nothing for play, thought they was playing for keys. Everything bought it for real, niggas ain't taking the feet. Niggas might make it ugly, you thinking that something is sweet. Fuck a nine to five, young niggas be gunning for cheap. All I know is do what I do and I get the fuck on. Every hater all on my dick, I tell them to suck on. Anyone fuck up my facility, getting booked on. Pull up with the team of that gang, nigga, you look on. I hear them niggas say I was tripping, fuck it, tell them I'm tripping now. You ain't need a variety, you can tell them I'm dipping now. Trying to get off this artillery, I'm moving that foreign wheel trip. And I'ma end up getting your flip now. If I'm a music producer, maybe DJ Payne One's success isn't my success. Maybe my success is Rodney Jerkins' success. Like if I sold my catalog for $75 million. Mick Jagger hasn't had a hit in 30 years, but he's still selling out stadiums and making the biggest revenue yearly off tours. But people think radio and visibility on YouTube videos is success. I think the problem is a skewed version of what success is. Because everyone's definition of success is different. People are becoming millionaires off $24.99 beat leases. No labels or placements involved. In reality, though, if you get past those pitfalls, no one can guarantee you radio play, media coverage, a tour agent. Deals are created before they're even slid across to you on a conference table or Dropbox to you. The house always wins, and that contract doesn't have your benefit in mind. So navigating a career as a music producer, it's a minefield. And if I listen to Illmind or Kato or DJ Payne One, will I succeed? Well, they produce for J. Cole and Ludacris and Rick Ross, and their their advice may not work for you, but it worked for them, and it could work for you. I've always thought of this to be very interesting, so I invite DJ Payne One on the show this week, and I want to talk about his life, his journey, so you get a better understanding of who he is, and the next time you hear a beat from him, or when you see him online celebrating his wins, you can celebrate along with him, and in turn, you can enrich your life and further your career, whatever it may be. I'm not a music producer, I'm a podcaster. I just want to see you succeed too. So that's what this episode's all about. Hey, let's get this podcast in front of more people. In this day and age, it's all algorithm-based. So let's do that in order to get these stories out there. Visit the YouTube channel and like, subscribe, ring that bell notification. Visit bedroombeethovens.com and tell a friend. If you like it, word of mouth is never out of style in any era of marketing. Lastly, I'm growing a community where you guys can get access to early episodes and swag and more. It's over at patreon.com slash bedroombeethovens. You can join for a buck or two, and you always get episodes without ads and five days earlier than everyone else. But most important, that small gesture of your hard-earned money is literally the circle of life. 
But I will say that just being here right now, you hearing this is enough. Because growing my Patreon takes a backseat when some people are struggling to buy groceries. So just give what you can. I appreciate it. Episode 164 with DJ Payne One, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go. This is not the first time that we've talked. I know you don't remember, or I'm sure you don't remember, but I invited you on here maybe a year ago, and um, you you politely declined. And, I, and if my memory serves me right, it's because you said you wanted to wait until your book was out. Is that true? Uh, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound right. And I didn't think so, but I, I do remember we talked and you said you, maybe it was like a splice pack or something, but you wanted to wait until something came out. But um Ironically, your people reached out to me this time, so the scales of balance have shifted, and it's all good. <laughs> yeah, you got me. If I would have interviewed you when I did, I wouldn't have been able to say, welcome to the show, multi-platinum producer, DJ Payne One. So That's true. That's brand new. That's a new distinction. Update that LinkedIn bio. <laughs> oh, have I not? Quite a feat, though, and um, you, you are an early adopter. Everyone might know about your YouTube channel with 125,000 subscribers, but the real heads know about the DJ Payne 2 channel <laughs> with 319 subscribers. Yeah, that used to be called something else. I was experimenting and maybe there will be some weird content that has nothing to do with music popping up on there. I don't know. I always I always think I'm going to pursue all these other uh, ideas and then I realize how little time I actually have. And then I don't. And that's, that's just life. But it's got episodes of the new standard on it. And, you know, 10 years ago, nobody was even thinking about web shows. No, that was, uh, that was a good idea. And I wish we had continued it. That was an idea that collectively was formed by Mike Trampy, me and, and, and Shaw. So that was, yeah, we were, we were ahead of our time, I guess. As far as a web show that had to do with the music business, a free web show that had to do with the music business. I think we were ahead of our times period in terms of just giving out free music business content at that level. You, you think like maybe early 2010s, just people weren't ready to drink from the fire hose. I mean, I don't, I don't think most of them are ready now. It's just that the psychology of advertising means if you present something as, you know, $50,000 worth of value, but I'm going to give it to you for $499 right now. If you present it in the right way, which is to say probably in a deceptive way, you may reach more people. But I think the end result is always the same. It's, it's going to be, t- you know, the vast majority of the people consuming the content not actually acting on it or even understanding it per se. And then out of the 10 that act on it, maybe only 1% do it correctly. I, I don't know. So it, it's just, I'd rather maybe, maybe one day I'll charge for the information and really organize it well. But for now it's just kind of out there and free and, uh, you know, th- for the people who consume it, that that appreciate it, that's that's who I'm there for. I know that this whole journey into music started with your curiosity into scratching, correct? Maybe somewhat. I, I started with with beat making first when I was maybe 13 or 14. I, I wanted to learn how to scratch. It was just more expensive to buy that setup, so I didn't really get into it until maybe high school and I had just one turntable and a mixer that was that that I inherited from from DJ Newsense who's a scratch DJ out here and eventually 
because I was producing for rappers, they started performing and I would go to the show and I'm just like, man, I'm not a part of this performance. No one knows I made these beats. No one cared about producers back then. So I just decided to start DJing and then I just demanded that I that I was a part of the show and next thing you know I'm a, I'm a DJ cuz we're about the same age I'm I'm 38 so if if I'm going by that timeline I remember everybody in middle school shitting on Puff Daddy for always being up in the songs always being up in the videos yep. and I think you and him might have been the only ones that shared that mindset like this song is 50% mine why aren't I up there you know that the whole Kanye West like I don't want to be at Rockefeller giving my beats to artists. I want to be one too. Yeah, I don't I mean people don't understand what goes on during the process of making a song. So everyone was just understating the importance of Puff Daddy as he was known back then. I mean even me, you know, I didn't know what the hell when I made the first beat I had just I ever made it was in my friend's apartment. I had just graduated 8th grade. It was like the summer after 8th grade, I think. Even then, I still didn't realize what it all took. But certainly when, you know, Harlem World was out and, and it was the, the whole shiny suit era, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what the hell did he did. You know, no one did. We just saw him in the videos. Sometimes he would have a verse, but for the most part, he was doing ad-libs. And nowadays it's funny because nowadays people look back on that era and they're like yeah that's golden era hip-hop back then the critics were calling it commercial they were calling it fake they were calling it jiggy rap they were calling it uh you know shiny suit rap so yeah with the times times change it, it's funny how that works yeah and and the next step uh was uh you went to west high school and i, mm-hmm. I remember there was a track called california that was on the oc soundtrack that was like really big and uh the drummer of that band went to west high school uh um, really you had uh olympic olympic medalists you had nba players nfl players a whole bunch of people graduated from west high school yeah uh and a lot of musicians too a lot of musicians a lot of musicians a lot of um graffiti writers there was just something about that school i don't know why but it I don't know. There were creatives that came out of that place. Before we talked, I looked at your brand on the internet, you know, because you know I'm researching stuff like that, and I'm looking at the things that you say. I'm looking at the things that you offer. Uh, your social media, I kind of brushed through it all, and I got I got depressed, man. The amount of hate, naysaying, doubt, insults, jealousy, envy, and misinformation that gets thrown at you from emails, DMs, tweets is crazy. And even I am surprised that you still make a beat a day and tell people that they can achieve their dreams in this field. I I mean, how do you stay positive? Because life is good. All of everything I have right now and everything I experience every day outweighs every, you know, the sum total of every negative experience I've, I've had in the music business. And, you know, comment doesn't really hurt. It's, I, I can be sad for the producer community because it's full of a lot of confused people who turn that confusion into anger or frustrated people who who don't feel as though they're succeeding and then they turn that into anger, that frustration, they turn into anger and then they focus it at someone who's being positive. But, you know, ultimately that doesn't hurt me in any sort of way. Sometimes I'll share a small fraction of the the negativity I receive, and hopefully 
it's either just for a laugh because, you know, when I share it, other people say, yeah, yeah, I get that kind of hate too. So it's not just me that's getting it. I'm not being singled out. But if it's a teachable moment where, you know, someone might say something completely off the wall, like should producers shouldn't charge for beats, they should be getting streaming royalties. And it's like, this is the teachable moment because what are streaming royalties? Can you explain it? No, most people can't. So let's break these down and let me explain why that may or may not be uh, the, the right idea. And hopefully that becomes instructive. I, yeah. I think most, most music producers aren't going to touch topics like that. And if they do, maybe they, they're in Tony Robbins mode and they talk about NFTs and splice packs and podcasting. And it comes out like a, a book in the self-help section of Barnes and Nobles. Like, you know, I, I produced for J Cole and I want a Grammy. I made millions and guess what you can too. And I think people, maybe they take it the wrong way. Like, um, like just yesterday, you said you're living your dream life. And if I'm hating my life that day, people are going to take it the wrong way. And the more you share your successes, the more hate you get, maybe. Like, like what do you think about that theory? Maybe telling people, oh, I got a gold record on the way and I'm living my dream. Maybe that puts a target on your back. Anything puts a target on your back. Because if I did the opposite, if I went on there and said, hey, most of you aren't going to make it, statistically speaking, that would upset someone. If I went, if I went online and, and said... It's so hard to make it in the music business. It took me, you know, 10 years just to get to where I I was sort of stable. People would hate me for that. If I went on and said, everything is amazing, everything's beautiful, I love all of you, someone would hate me for that. So all I can do is just create what's authentic to me and I, whoever has a problem with it, that's, that, you know who, who um, it was Illmind, we had a conversation about that. And he said, you just have to feel sorry for these people and and really understand that they're going through something so profound that it makes them behave in, in such an ugly way that, and just be grateful that you're not going through what they're doing. So treat them with empathy and then also appreciate the position that you're in. And I'm glad he told me that because, yeah, you know, it's easy to be reactive when someone – because people say horrible things on the internet because it's anonymous. So you might say something incredibly positive today. Hey, producers, you know, have an amazing day. Here's a link to some information that you can use to learn more about monetizing uh, your micro sinks. Someone will come by and say, yo, fuck you when your mom's a bitch. And when I see you, I'm shooting you in the neck. It's easy to react. and. I reacted, you know, and back back during the times that I was really reactive to that kind of stuff, I was going through something. I was in an abusive relationship. I was struggling financially. I was feeling low about myself. The, the second I consciously made a choice to focus on the underlying issues, like if I'm not feeling well about something that's going on, on in my life and I'm reacting poorly to stupid stuff on the internet, what's the solution here? And who's at fault? Is it the people on the internet? No, that's just what they do. They're going through whatever. I, I don't know them. The only thing I can control is is my own relationship with myself and my my own um, image of myself. So I need to change that. Otherwise, I'm just going to keep repeating these cycles and be miserable. I wanted to ask you, and I swear this is all connected, but your your grandfather, correct me if I'm wrong, his name was, was Ray. He was a reverend. Yep. Rest in peace. Yep. 
you damn you did a lot of research yeah i i was fascinated and it may be why you're so helpful to people and i you know and want to see them succeed because he was the exact same way his whole existence was about helping people on christmas eve he played santa claus visiting homes in the county and he did that for 55 years he taught teenagers in the classroom uh he was on the hospital board he was a regular blood donor until the age of 83 he was so impactful that they gave him the nickname Sage Bailey, which which is not a bad artist name, by the way. But wow, I, yeah, it was like Sage Francis. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, and just like him, you you both graduated from the University of Wisconsin, and that's important because UW was responsible for the growth of hip hop in that area that you grew up in with the with the first ever national hip hop conference, which you attended. Yeah, that was amazing. That's the first time I met Chuck D. I met. Africa Bombada, I met Crazy Legs. I met, oh man, I met I met Lee from you know Wild Style Lee. But yeah, that's I got to find that article. I didn't know that nick. I'm learning something. I didn't know my grandfather had that nickname. You know, he was helping in before the internet age, and like you're kind of helping in the internet age. Um, and hey, I think helping's in your blood, maybe. Yeah, and I know he was really proud of me for because I went to school to become a teacher, and I know he was really. He was really happy about that. So there was this little place called Scott's Urban Wear, which is uh, where you made your debut. Uh, even before it hit DJBooth.net, it was called The Waiting Game. And then there's a there's a Subway restaurant next to it that remains, but Scott's didn't survive, so it got shut down. Yeah, it's a church now. <laughs> oh, wow. A plaza church. Yeah, it, I've, I've not seen many churches like that. Because, uh, you know, it was a smaller space, but it was just one wide open room. And, and shout out to Scott's. Scott's Urban Wear uh, did a lot for local hip hop. And that that particular album, even Young Jeezy was on that album, right? Yeah. That's cool. So when, when you say that Jeezy gave you a chance and put you on his album, The Recession, if if the beat is hot and the producer's unknown, will it... Will, I mean, what is it like? A, will a big artist likely pass on it for a subpar beat by a bigger name producer? Is it the marketing aspect of a name, like better than the beat itself? Is that why you can phrase it as, "Well, Jeezy took a chance on me"? Is it because that he takes all the risk? If it's a bad track, maybe you still get the production credit, but he gets a bad song, right? Well, the reason I call it a risk is because he didn't know me, and when I look at the producers on that album. It's people that work directly with him, like Justice Lee or D. Rich, um, Drummer Boy. People that I know have been in the room with him. DJ Payne. So the fact that I just kind of sneaked my way onto the album is just some random kid from the Midwest that he had never met and i and i did you know more than one track with him that's where the the whole giving me a chance thing comes in because at that point you know it it was clear he didn't care about the name he just cared about the song and there were a lot of I i think to this day that's that's how it goes maybe way back there was more gatekeeping but I remember, you know, the label G unit gave tons of new producers a chance. It was it was almost as though they were actively seeking out new producers to work with. And, you know, people like Frank Dukes came up and, you know, working working on G unit. And you know, now they're household names, but they weren't back then. It, I, I was one of them that they gave a chance to. Damn it, 
I don't even know half of the producers that are on some of these major projects that are getting gold and platinum certified. And it's just because I think the artists that are getting the beats now, they came up in the era of going online and just looking for beats that, that caught them. They weren't big at that point where they could just get in a room with a Metro Boomin or a Pharrell. So they're online that, you know, they, they find, you know, someone who's just uploading beats to YouTube. And next thing you know, they start recording, they develop a relationship. And these are the superstars of today. You know, they're the, the little TJs of today. They're the little Nas X's of today. So that, that whole landscape has changed quite a bit. And at this time of placement, you were working multiple jobs. You were going to school. Like why, why three jobs? That because that seems like an aggressive schedule. And two of those part times, I think, was teaching. Yeah, but they were fun jobs. So the one job was a job that I transitioned into when I enrolled in grad school, and it paid better. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to take this, and you know, this is going to pay for grad school. And I got health insurance. And then the other job was also at the university, but in a different department, and that was at as music director of the Office of Multicultural Arts Initiatives. So when you offer me a job like that, it's hard for me to refuse. And then the third job, I was working for the radio station as a on-air mix show personality and, and mix show DJ. So that was, you know, even though these jobs weren't really related to music, they also kind of were. And then grad school was fun. I mean, it was demanding, but I feel... Like nowadays, I'm I'm busier and have less time than I did back when I had three part-time jobs, my music career, and I was in school. But what's interesting is you took a semester off to see where the production would take you. So if success was hitting a bit too quick, was there a real-world possibility that you would have abandoned your degree? Possibly, but again, I'm stubborn and I, I didn't want to deal with the fallout with, with my family if I didn't get the master's degree. That was just kind of like the thing that I was going to do. So I'm, I'm glad it was a fun experience because if it, if it hadn't been, then that would have been tough. It's one of those things where you announce it first and then because you told everybody, now you have to do it. Not even that, but you know, there are these family expectations that, that you need to... And it's not like everyone in my family had a master's. It was just that my mother got one, but she got one after I was born. I was like a teenager when she went back to school. So I think back then I looked at her and I said, yeah, yeah, I want to do that. And it was just, it, it became the expectation and, and that was just something I had to do. You know, you, you decide to quit your job at one point and go full time as a producer. The next morning when you wake up, are you, because you say you're stubborn, are you confident in that decision or do you have imposter syndrome? Are you scared? Uh, both. It, it's, it's up and down, you know, on a day when you feel validated, you're totally confident on a day when no one calls, you don't make any money, you feel scared. And I just had to, it, it took me a long time to get more used to the ups and downs. I'm still not used to them today. I, I still have those moments where I think, okay, I got to go sell drugs or rob somebody. But I, w w jokes, by the way. Uh, <laughs> of course. But I'm also learning to just kind of keep moving forward regardless of what's happening around me just because I'm, I'm doing more mental work with regards to 
how you know my relationship with myself and my relationship with my goals and just knowing things are going to work out maybe maybe i can reframe the question like how long after your gz placement how long after going full time did you finally start to feel successful like you were a success i felt successful right away and then there was a dip and i was like wow this sucks cuz i thought after the first placement it was just going to be uphill and i was going to be you know swimming in in pools of money and that's just not how it works so yeah there there was there was a lot of fear associated with my decision and again i'm stubborn so on the surface i'm like nah i'm i'm, I'm going to keep moving forward but inside I, there was a lot of fear and i just had to hustle and find that's really what that's how i learned the most about the music business cuz i needed to know how i could make the most out of it and and not just survive but thrive within the within the landscape yeah cuz everyone's definition of success is different you know it took 12 years for Jeezy's the recession right. to go platinum but it took the marshall mathers lp 3 days to do that so i wonder if Jeezy sat around thinking that he wasn't successful by those standards you know even though it's regarded as a classic at this point well, I'll say this. It took the label 12 years to get the RIAA to audit it. Labels are members of the RIAA, so they get a discount on the audits. I don't think a regular person I, – I wonder. I, I was wondering this the other day. Could I – if I'm on a record, if I'm on an album as a producer of one song, could I pay the RIAA, you know, the four or $500 and say, hey, audit this. I think it's platinum. And then they would they say yes, they and then take my money, and then you know within a week or two they get back to me and say, yeah, you're right, it's platinum. We we audited it. So it's this whole convoluted process, right? When an album goes platinum, right, the label has to pay the RIAA to officially certify it because those certifications come from the RIAA. Then the label has to approve of the plaques being made by certain companies. Usually they just go through one company, I believe, and they need to submit an authorization form to that company. And there are, for the longest time, there were only two companies. Now I think there's a third one, like in the whole world <laughs> that makes these plaques. And you need the authorization so that you can get the official RIAA hologram on the plaques. Otherwise it's kind of pointless. When you got that Jeezy placement and you were thinking like all oh, the money is going to come, this is success, you know, did you lose friends due to jealousy, envy, miscommunication, where there are people where when you got to the finish line, you thought they were going to celebrate that W with you and, and they were nowhere to be found? I did lose a friend because there was a manager that I was in a lot of rap groups. There was a manager that just started planting seeds of animosity within the group and it was... Once I got that plaque, it was like, well, why can't you? Why isn't anyone else in the group getting the plaque? You know, why can't? I'm like, because you're the manager. What are you talking about? I, I've been working my ass off and I I got lucky. All right. I got, I had the right beat at the right time. I sent it to the right person, which was Brendan. And then he sent it to the right person and it, and it got cut. And here we are. I'm now a, a you know, a platinum producer with a number one album. I, I can, I can't I can't make someone else do that work. You know what I mean? I can try, but yeah, then 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 that resentment kind of started forming and then you know, I just got serious cuz cuz it was my job now and I'm looking at the people around me that I'm that I'm working with. 
someone that I considered my best friend. Uh, we, you know, I, I started sharing all these resources with, because now, now I had access to resources that I didn't have before. And I had access to knowledge that I didn't have before because I was learning so much on my feet and he just wasn't ready for it. You know, he, it, it just, you find out that people really aren't serious about this. They, they have other priorities. They like making music cause it's fun. But a lot of the people out there that that claim that they want to do this as a career actually don't, just because it's it's a lot of hard work and it's 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 not traditional work. It's not nine to five job work. I would never force you to name names, but I I know that there's some up and coming artists like Rain, Flame, the Ruler, Mark Anthony, Swag Team. Maybe they fell victim to man, this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be, or I didn't blow up sooner. And maybe, you know, that's why you kind of outlasted them. No, I don't, I don't think I outlasted any of the people that you just named. The, the people that I'm talking about were just very close friends that prob. I mean, if you dug, you could probably find out who they were, but also probably not. I mean, I didn't hide that I was in groups, <laughs> you know what I mean? And there was one that I was, that, you know, I, I went to New York. That's when I joined Violator. That's when I became a Violator All-Star DJ. And I actually met um, Chris Lighty, rest in peace. And that was through DJ All-in-One. And they were, their offices were next to a sink house. And they they got me in one of my, well, actually two of my groups they got us into the Sprite campaign uh, back when when Drake was was the face of of the, that current that that particular Sprite campaign, and so we were getting sync checks, and one of the groups, the the lead rapper from the group said, "Nah, we don't want to do it because the contract is beverage exclusive. What if Pepsi wants the song?" And I'm like, "Well, what if Pepsi does want the song? One, Pepsi doesn't want the song. Two, Pepsi's going to give you the same type of contract and it's going to be beverage exclusive. And she just wasn't with it, which was idiotic. So we lost that sync placement. That would have been great exposure and great money. Um, but the other group I was in, you know, that, that the rapper from that group signed and I was like, look, we're on, we're on this, we're on Sprite's website. This is the Drake campaign. Drake is, you know, the, the up and coming artist. And now, you know, Drake is, an icon, but back then he was just this rapper with a huge buzz that everybody loved and knew was going to become, you know, one of the greats. And we were a part of that campaign. It was amazing. And then, you know, that, that person I was in, both of those rap groups completely disbanded and just came to crashing halts. And I'll tell you this, it wasn't my fault because I'm still doing this and they're not. So a lot of it is just, People aren't ready for it. They say they are, and then they hold themselves back. Yeah, even the, even the people that made it. Um, I you know Phil Spector had eighteen number one records, but yet he had a crippling fear of rejection. Murderer Joe Meeks, murderer. He sank into debt and depression. Yep, it's debt depression, debt depression. I'm just seeing this over and over, and it's it's almost like you know even you like you you admit it you got angry when your beats weren't selling at one point and you took it out on other people or you didn't have a healthy outlet it's yeah just like, i didn't kill anybody but but the fact that kanye west hasn't killed pete davidson yeah. and himself is like it's a godsend at this point 
it's such a like the the dark side of the music industry as a music producer is just insane to me. Yeah, because Joe, because Meeks and Spectre were both producers, and they were some of the earliest producers, and they're both. Well, they were, but was Bill, Phil Spector still alive, right? He might have died in prison. I think he's still alive. I don't know. Well, either way, they ended up killing people, so that's really strange. I mean, they're both producers. I guess I guess anyone can kill anybody, but why the, like, probably, like, the first two most prolific producers why were they the ones that turned out to be killers? Oh, I mean, I'm I'm reading it, and, and I'm I, I don't know if it's related, but it, it, they do say manic depressive, sinking in the debt, like depression just kind of just kind of jumps out at that, and it's just like it kind of goes back to my earlier line of questions with the with the naysayers and everything, and you've you've got this thick skin, you know you're there, you know your intentions are good, and you actually you actually practice what you preach. Maybe these people having 18 number one records wasn't enough validation. Maybe they just they still had that self doubt. I don't know. And I don't even know if I have thick skin. I just kind of have tunnel vision. You know, I did listen to, you know, one of your YouTube videos and this, uh, this new hit record that you got, you produced the melody and still you're dealing with people trying to trick you, deceive you, Uh, you know, people bumping into you at shows and knocking equipments out of your arms. Uh, Wait a minute. How do you know about that? And I know you tried to chase him. You know, <laughs> yeah. Just, just to be clear, that was him just being a drunk asshole. I did, I don't know that guy, and he didn't know me. But yeah, he smashed my mixer right before I'm walking to the stage. This was back when rain equipment was really robust, and and it took a fall and it crushed, and like one of the inputs was just shattered, but it still worked. <laughs> I still played the show, and then um, actually, Shaw Evans, who who going back to the beginning of the conversation was on the, um, the new standard website with me and Mike, he bought me a new rain mixer. I think the following year, maybe cause he was there. He saw it happen. Yeah. That, I mean, that's the type of, you know, straw that broke the camel's back type of shit that can happen in a night where you're just like, come on, you know? So it's just, I'm good to see like all this stuff remedy itself and it doesn't break you. I mean, even the, even the, when you got the ludicrous and Rick Ross, you can't even enjoy that placement because some guy on some Johnny Depp secret window shit, you know, the movie where he releases a book and some guy out of the blue says he wrote the book first. Some guy on beat block entertainment said you stole the beat or the CEO had it and didn't pay you. And it's just like, man, let me just, <laughs> let me what? just have this, you know, these, these victories without these people coming out of the woodwork and saying, Oh, this is my beat first or trying to take credit. It's just, I, I'm glad never I didn't seen- read that. I'm glad I did. Cause that's, that beat was, Wow, that was like five years in the making. I made that beat five years before it even came out. And it's, I'm glad you don't read it all or you don't catch it all or you filter through it. It's just crazy. I don't even know what that is with Beat Block Entertainment. So you never even heard of that entertainment label? No. Nah. Very rarely are, are people coming to the table with just as much to offer. That's interesting. Like, What would you say is a percentage of your audience are fans of you or aspiring people wanting to be like you or work with you? I, I don't even necessarily make the distinction because a lot of the people that want to work with me are still supporters and they're still actively supporting whatever content I release. So God, that's hard to say. I should, I should give that some thought. Because if I'm a 17-year-old music producer from, from Madison and I hit you up, how do you know – 
if he's using you as a veteran yourself can you immediately spot genuine human networking versus a fake relationship well people are terrible at at social media made everyone really socially inept and so it's usually in the vast majority of cases it's usually pretty obvious who's trying to use you have people reach out and say hey i saw you just got a hit single i'm trying to get that too let's work and it's like wait a minute you just gave away your your motives <laughs> so yeah i'm gonna ignore that i mean if somebody actually has something to offer but you can't expect people to give you what they have if they don't know you and you've never worked with them and you're not giving them anything in return i mean it, what's a partnership if it's if if one person is doing the majority of, of the work and bringing the majority of the benefit to the partnership. So I that's not a partnership. I agree. If, and if we're talking about the partnership between you and me, I think you've provided me a, a really good account of your story and your life. And uh, if I can repay you, I think this is the part where I kind of just give you the floor. Like what services do you offer? What music can we look forward to? Where can people find you? I'll, I'll let you have at it. I'm very easy to find online. I'm just at DJ Payne one, all platforms including TikTok, even though apparently the Supreme Court and the FCC are trying to eliminate TikTok. And my beat catalog is www.djpain1beats.com. And there are also services there. So, you know, like custom beats, beat collabs, that kind of thing. Just click the services tab. But otherwise, yeah, you know, reach out. Um, I try to, and I don't always, I don't always, succeed but i try to answer all the inquiries that come in and you know i i would say this this past calendar year with covid and all that i'm just i'm glad that you can celebrate these victories and the next calendar year i hope you have more platinum hits inching closer towards legend status and more importantly you can celebrate your birthday without a black cloud over it i do, I do wish that for you as well yeah last last birthday was rough uh, but it won't be like that this year. There you go. That's, I love to hear that. And thank you so much, man. Cause as you know, as a podcaster, as a content creator yourself, you know how hard these things are to do them properly. And, and I couldn't have done it without you. So I, I appreciate you and I appreciate your time. Thank you. I appreciate you as well. And your time. <laughs>